Yes, This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Have you ever considered what it means to be political? What is political anyway? What are politics anyway? Could it be that politics used to be something different than what they are today? In the fact, the very estimation and understanding of the word politic or politics might have been drastically different than it is today. So if that be the case, what happened? And if something did happen, why did it happen? And what are the effects of it happening? Today, we're going to be focusing on something that perhaps you'd never considered. And I think we need to consider it. In fact, we need to consider it so much that I have in front of me a number of different articles dealing with this very issue that have just come out. And so I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And today we're going to be taking a look at four major political issues. Listen very carefully. Four major political issues. Number one, what was the source of the Wuhan virus or COVID-19 and gain-of-function research. Number two, who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline and why? Number three, was the January 6th event an insurrection, and why was it deemed to be such? And number four, when will Christ return and for whom? Did I get your attention there? Number four, when will Christ return and for whom? You say, how could you call that political? Well, in fact, it really is. It is because of the way we look at the word political, the way we think about the word political, and the way we think about words. And so today on Viewpoint, I hope I have your attention. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Now, there's an article that came out in Christianity Today, the latest issue, called Empty Words, Holy Words. Empty Words, Holy Words. Christianity joyfully affirms that language is worthy of honor. After all, in the beginning was the Word, and the theme of Word can be traced brilliantly through the entire Bible. But today, we live in a crisis of language. Not only is the sacred nature of our words largely forgotten, but language is becoming degraded. Healthy language, like clean air or water, is something we take for granted. That is, until it's gone. And if language falls, so do unaccountability or and other things which upon which human well-being depends. So this crisis has been growing for many decades. In fact, in 1946, George Orwell, you remember him, the novelist, One of the great defenders of language opened up his essay called Politics and the English Language with, quote, most people who bother with the matter at all would admit that the English language is in a bad way, but it's generally assumed that we cannot by conscious action do anything about it, unquote. 
But then he proceeded to do that with his book, 1984. But like Orwell predicted, political language designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind is still a threat. Visible anywhere, words are warped to propaganda, often as simple as loaded phrases like wokeism or alternative facts. Words are everywhere. What is everywhere must not be precious then. Language becomes disposable and we're throwing it away. And serious effects are following as we lose our discernment and grip on healthy language. We're playing mind games. What does that look like? Well, social forces might say, rename murder as killing. Specify a particular sort of killing as euthanasia. Rebrand euthanasia as medical assistance in dying. Or, and then state it as simply health care. So the discussion is ended, right? Language which ought to promote nuanced dialogue is appropriated precisely to eliminate it. So the decay is deeper than politics. But it's reflected in politics, and that's why we're going to focus on that today on Viewpoint. And then we're going to see how these very same things play out in our churches, play out in our understanding of the Bible. In fact, today's title is Biblical Politics, Manipulating Facts to Foster PP&P. You say, what are PP&P? Pride, power, and position. Isn't that what politics is all about anyway these days? Didn't used to be, but that's what it's about now. And so today on Viewpoint, we listen first to Dr. Rand Paul. Dr. Rand Paul was interviewing, or actually, uh, shall we say, under senatorial mandate, was interviewing, questioning Dr. Fauci. Listen to what this energetic conversation has to say in just a couple of minutes, and you'll understand a little bit more about what we're talking about. Here we go. The preponderance of evidence now points towards this coming from the lab, and what you've done is changed the definition on your website to try to cover your ass, basically. That's what you've done. You've changed the website to try to have a new definition that doesn't include the risky research that's going on. Until you admit that it's risky, we're not going to get anywhere. You have to admit that this research was risky. The NIH has now rebuked them. Your own agency has rebuked them. But the thing is, is you're still unwilling to admit that they gained in function when they say they became sicker. They gained in lethality. It's a new virus. That's not gain of function. According to the definition that is currently operable, you know, Senator, let's make it. Notice the playing with words now. The current definition was done over a two to three year period by outside bodies, including the NSABB. Two conferences by the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine on December 2014, March 2016. We commissioned external risk-benefit assessment, and then on January of 2017, the Office of Science and Technology Policy of the White House issued the current policy. And coincidentally, I, I have not changed definition any definition. 
on the same day the NIH said that, yes, there was a gain of function in Wuhan, the same day the definition appeared, the new definition, to try to define away what's going on in Wuhan. Until you accept it, until you expect, accept responsibility, we're not going to get anywhere right. close to trying to prevent another lab leak of this dangerous sort of experiment. You won't. And there we are. That, my friends, was political obfuscation in the name of science. Political obfuscation in the name of science. Using words and supposed practices in order to cover up or change that which was known, accepted, understanding, and language. The same thing happened with regard to the word virus. You'll remember that, right? And with regard to the word inoculation, oh, you mean that thing that you jab people with? Oh, yeah, that. They had to change the definition to play games with the words. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Yesterday, the former head of the uh, CDC was again also interviewed by Congress, Mr. Redford, Dr. Redford, and he seemed to be unwilling to play word games. He was willing to be pretty straightforward. He didn't play those same word games that Dr. Fauci played. However, his successor, Dr. Walensky, picked up Dr. Fauci's political talk and played word games. When they were called to account concerning the inoculations, they changed the definitions. They knew, they knew very well that the jabs that were being given did not fit the historic and understood definitions of a vaccine. And when called to account on it, they decided to change the definition to make it fit the political agenda. We want to have more people get this, and when you tell us that they're not really a vaccine and we have to admit that before the people then we're just going to have to do something to change the language, the meaning of the words, and so on, in order to continue to deceive the people into thinking that they're going to get what they're not getting through the ostensible vaccines, whether it's come from Moderna or Pfizer or anywhere else. So, this is the problem that we're facing. We're facing exactly the same problem with regard to the source of the Wuhan virus, you see. And now, even agencies within the government are having to come out and admit 
that all of the accusations, all of the arguments that Dr. Fauci has made were utterly and totally false. They were all made up with word obfuscation. In other words, there were political motivations for saying what was said. Those political motivations surrounded three words, power, perks, and position. Why did Dr. Ron Paul, why did Dr. Uh, Paul say to Dr. Fauci, you're covering your rear end? Because he knew He identified that the motivation that Dr. Fauci was engaged in to continue to hold on to his positions, notwithstanding all the evidence to the contrary, was because he had something to lose in power, in perks, and in position. Whenever you look at things politically, in the new sense of political, as has come out in the past, uh, say, three or four generations or decades, all of a sudden you know what's at stake is power, perks, and position. That's what's at stake. Now, here's the question that I have to ask you to keep in your mind and in your heart as we go through some of these other, what we could, would consider, political issues is the same thing going on in our churches? Is the same thing going on in even our own, speaking of us as listeners and so on, our own minds and hearts as we consider issues related to the second coming of Christ? I say absolutely. Power, perks, and position play a huge part in what we say we believe And what we continue to tout, like Dr. Fauci, notwithstanding significant evidence to the contrary. This is a big problem. Because if you think that politics as we know it is a radical breach of genuine integrity... If we do the same kind of thing in the name of Christ, what would you call that? Is that integrity of ministry? No, it's not. It has ulterior motives, ulterior motives behind it. But ulterior motives have no place in the teaching or preaching of the gospel or anything related to the scriptures, do they? Except when human beings are involved, selfishness prevails. And power, perks, and position then become a large, shall we say, a motivational aspect of what we say, what we don't say, and how we do say what we say. And how about the Nord Stream Pipeline? Our president said that Russia blew it up. He made it very clear, Russia blew it up. Then it began to look rather strange. Russia blew this up 
to remove their own flow of gas to Europe? Why would they do a thing like that? Then finally, a very revered and honored journalist just a couple of weeks ago revealed that it wasn't Russia that blew it up. It was Joe Biden and his policy that he had determined months before to accomplish. But why had Joe Biden determined to do that? And why did he lie to the American people, or maybe you want to use the word obfuscate, Why did he do that? Why did he deceive the American people? Because he had something to lose. What was it that he had to lose? Power, perks, and position. So now, as if that is not enough, the efforts are being made by many in the Western world to try to say, well, this was done by Ukraine. Ukraine did it. Why? To protect power, perks, and position. Friends, we have got to get a handle on what we say, why we say it, and when we're willing to change our minds based upon evidence to the contrary. And unfortunately for many, politics becomes their god no matter how much evidence there is to the contrary. And that was occurred with regard to the January 6th event. You remember that, of course. They called it the insurrection. They called it the greatest uh, war against democracy ever in the history of the country. Well, on what basis did they call it that? based upon what they decided and willed to reveal to the American people. In other words, they obfuscated with words and with language to deceive the American people because they had an agenda. What was their agenda? Power, perks, and position. But even more than that, their agenda was to get rid of a man by the name of Donald Trump who had gone against their god of globalism. That was their god. That was their ultimate political goal. Globalism, a one-world government, a one-world order. And here was a man that had made it blatantly plain. No, I'm here to represent America, to make America great again. We're not here to make the world great. We're here to make America great And they hated him for it and were going to conceive and do anything, even hide the truth in the form of 40,000 photographs from the American people. And that's what's now coming out. The new Speaker of the House decided to reveal those, didn't he? Kevin McCarthy decided he was going to reveal these. And they're coming out. And Tucker Carlson has begun to air some of them. And they prove beyond a reasonable doubt, more than just preponderance of the evidence, beyond a reasonable doubt, that what was called an insurrection 
was not at all. So much so was it not that in order to try to carry this on, they had to carry on a vengeance through the FBI to gather together all the people that they could find that were there in order to shut them up. And that's what they did. They put them in prison, some of them in solitary confinement for months on end without a single charge. They didn't want the message to get out. And yet we discover that the so-called shaman guy, you know, the very colorful fella that they like to photograph for the news, actually was ushered through the Capitol by a number of different police officers that just acted like like tour guides for him. There was no threatening, nothing like that at all. Friends, we have been lied to, we have been deceived by the manipulation of words and evidence, photographs, for political purposes. Not for the truth, not for legitimate politics, but for manipulation. Manipulating facts to foster power, perks, and position. So, You say, well, what does that have to do with the return of Christ and for whom? You said that was number four. When will Christ return and for whom? How is that political? Would you like to know? We'll talk about it in the second half of the program because it is powerfully political in the mind and heart of professing Christians. I have in my hands an article The politics of political, how word, the word, has changed its meaning. Over the course of history, the word political has evolved from being synonymous with public sphere or good government to meaning calculating or partisan. How did we get here? Whereas the political was formerly imagined as practically synonymous with the public sphere, and with conflicts between institutions or nation-states, now it can just as frequently designate conflicts between an individual and an institution or between a non-national group and ideology. This shift has affected the linguistic fortunes of the words politics and political. It's changed the whole course of our country, friends. And that same spirit prevails in the church. The adjective political has supplanted the now largely archaic adjectival form politic. In medieval usage, the adjective politic connoted that which was prudent, sensible, and sagacious, a meaning that continued even as the usual form migrated to the word political. The political has a realm of public speech was imagined as elevated and righteous, often contrasting the perceived benefits of constitutional governments against the characteristics of despotism or tyranny. But the adjectival form political has become weaponized 
in recent years with more pervasive use of terms such as political animal and political agenda, together with the advent of political correctness and the political action committee that has taken over American politics. But did you know that we have veritable political action committees in the church? In our denominations? Oh, my friend, we do. We do big time. And when we speak concerning the matter of the January 6th so-called revolution or insurrection, Elon Musk has now come out yesterday and called the January 6th prosecutions legally and morally wrong. Why would he do that? Because the evidence that has been withheld from the American people intentionally by that so-called self-appointed committee by Nancy Pelosi that got only a one-sided view and the rest was withheld from the American people, now that it's coming out, it's obvious they were wrong. Not only wrong, but seriously deceptive. There we'll is be back. so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Whether you like to admit it or not, the seduction of the saints is attributed largely to the manipulation of words, the refusal to reveal the fullness of the word of God to God's people, telling them only what someone, a leader, thinks they should hear or want to hear, and the net result of it all, given human nature, wanting to hear what I want to hear, and don't tell me anything else, is deception and seduction. And the effects of it are so vast, my friends, that Jesus himself warned against it, the Apostle Paul warned against it, the Apostle Peter warned against it, And in effect, James warned against it too. You know, Jesus said to his disciples there, uh, two days before his crucifixion there on the Mount of Olives, they asked him what would be the sign of his coming in the end of the age, and he said, take heed that no man deceive you. That was the first thing he said. Then later on he said, many will come to me, come to you in my name and deceive many. In other words, they'll tell you what you want to believe, but they won't tell you the truth, not the whole truth. They're going to withhold the 40,000 video pictures that should have been released to you 
They're going to withhold much of the Bible from you that you should have known, but they're not going to tell you about it because they're not going to see that that's going to go favorably for them. It might affect their power perks and position. Are you listening? This is not a diatribe against the church per se. This is helping to flesh out the very nature of why we are so easily deceived. And then when we find out that we have been deceived, then what are we going to do about it? Because if we've taken a partisan position, and there are partisan positions all over the church, and I'm not talking about Democrat or Republican, I'm talking about theologically partisan positions that divide the body of Christ dramatically. We've talked about some of them recently here. Undoubtedly, the greatest issues facing the church today in the West that are seemingly intractable issues dividing the body of Christ are the issue of divorce and remarriage, when your spouse is still living, the issue of uh, eternal security or predestination, the issue of pre-trib rapture. Those are the three biggest issues, and then underlying that is another one behind it, and that is whether or not you believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still operative today. Many are teaching and preaching what is called cessationism. Now, there's no biblical authority for it, but that's what they teach because that's what they want to believe. There's no biblical authority for it, just the contrary. But that's what they teach. And that's what they purport to believe. And they have their reasons. Because they're partisan reasons. My group just doesn't believe that. My group doesn't believe that. And if I say what I really believe, or contrary to what my group says, then it's going to cost me my congregation, it might cost me my retirement, it might cost me uh, members in my congregation, it might cost me uh, funds, it might, you get the point. Power, perks, and position. This is how it's working today in American Christianity. It's like the old Burger King mantra, gotta give the people what they want. Have it your way, whatever you say. Have it your way. No matter what the Bible actually says, well, why aren't you willing to teach the whole truth? Why is it you only present your partisan view to make an argument for your position? Why don't you present the whole counsel of God and let people decide by the Holy Spirit? I can't do that because if I do that, then people will think that I am embracing another group's viewpoint other than my partisan group's viewpoint, and therefore they won't like me. See, it's all about me. This is one of the reasons, friends, why we have no commercial support for this program. 
We don't want commercial support for this program. Why? Because that makes us beholden to what some businessman with a lot of money has to say about what we say or don't say. We're not beholden to anybody other than God and our conscience. Somebody might say, well, how many listeners do you have? I don't know how many listeners we have. That's not my job. My job isn't to make more listeners. My job is to tell the truth. God's job is to touch the hearts of people and draw them. No man can come to the Father, but the Holy Spirit draw him. That's not my job. That's not your job either. Our job is to live a righteous and holy life with integrity and honesty in all things without looking to our selfish purposes and motivations. Whether it be about building a big church, or as some pastors use a great church, I'm going to build a great church. Really? I thought it was Jesus who was supposed to build his church. We're supposed to make disciples. That's what we don't want to do. Why? Because it doesn't raise money. Building big churches raises money. Making disciples doesn't raise money. You can't sell it. You can't market it. You can't measure it precisely. Are you beginning to get the picture? This is a much, much bigger issue than you might ever imagine, friends. George Orwell was talking about our our words and so on. He said... Our civilization is decadent, and our language must inevitably share in the general collapse. Now, he said this a long time ago, friends. He said this about the time when I was born. He said, now it is clear that the decline of a language must ultimately have political and economic causes. Not due simply to the bad influence of this or that individual writer. The English language becomes ugly and inaccurate because our thoughts are foolish, he said, but the slovenliness of our language makes it easier for us to have foolish thoughts. That's another way of saying to be easily deceived. You see, here on this program, we deal with issues that very few, if any, will touch with a 10-foot pole. And the reason they won't touch them is because they're afraid that it will affect their power, perks, and position. It will affect the number of their listeners. It will affect uh, the the funds that are flowing in, the donations or whatever. It will affect the the uh, uh, support that they get somewhere, the recognition, the opportunity to speak in various churches. You have to align yourself, you see, with partisanship to do that. The partisanship that exists within the body of Christ is unbelievable. And I have been there from coast to coast, raised in the church, numerous denominations, and I've seen it everywhere. You see it in the universities, Christian universities and colleges. You see it in Christian day schools. You see it uh, just about everywhere. Because human nature 
has been seduced to try to do God's work man's way. In other words, we allow the flesh to get involved and rule out the spirit, and therefore, you see, the spirit is looking over God's word to perform it. But if we don't give the fullness of the word, not just the things that we want to convince people of, but the things, the balance of the word of God, and let the Holy Spirit rule the day. If we don't do that, then we're playing God. And I think that's pretty dangerous, don't you? So we're playing biblical politics, manipulating facts, manipulating biblical truth, manipulating by not teaching the fullness of the counsel of God, or by adding to it our own ideas and thoughts and beliefs. Isn't that exactly what the religious leaders of Jesus' day did? Jesus said, look, you guys, you, by your traditions, do make the word of God of none effect. What were those traditions? They added things to the word of God as if somehow they were necessary for people to follow the Lord with a whole heart. And he said, no, you're destroying them. You're playing God. Are we not doing the same thing when we add this partisan group's requirements to the word of God? People ask me all the time, well, what are you? What religion are you? I say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. No, but I mean, what religion are you? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. What they really mean is, what camp have you associated with yourself as a partisan uh, Christian, whether you're a Presbyterian, whether you're a, a Baptist, whether you're a Southern Baptist, whether you're an American Baptist, whether you're a, a PCUSA, whether you're a Presbyterian Church of America, whether you're United Methodist, you, you get the point. We have over 2,000 of these partisan groups just in North America, and over 20,000 worldwide. And we talk about unity in the body of Christ? you got to be kidding me. We're playing the political games every much so in the church as we're playing in the culture. And I think Christ is not pleased. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church.
Let's look at the manipulating politics that take place in the body of Christ with regard to some of the major issues that are confronting the church today and that divide the body of Christ throughout America and in some respects around the world, but primarily in America. Most of this is endemic to America, and we have spread these divisions all over the world. Mm Mm-hmm. In the name of Christ, we spread the divisions, the political and partisan divisions across the world. So let's take a look at a few of them without delving deeply. One of those is the issue of eternal security, which is part of the tulip message of Calvinism. Eternal security and predestination, as it's called. Okay. I can go and find a number of different passages which can appear to support that doctrine. No question about it. I can do that. In my reading of the Bible, I find those periodically. But those aren't the whole Bible. Now, if I want to proof text my argument, then I'll use those verses and I will manipulate them to convince people who don't know otherwise about the 40,000 photographs that were available to them that had been withheld from them because of my partisan outlook or my particular group's outlook, denominational outlook. And so I'll market those verses to them as the truth. No, they're only part of the truth, friends. They're only partial truth. So let's look at a few verses that would give an alternative. And this is not a, we're not here to try to discuss these things in a major way, but just to help us to understand the problem that we're facing. We're not really being fully honest with ourselves or with people that are purporting to follow us. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, the coming of Christ shall not come unless there come a falling away first. Falling away of whom? Of believers. You can't fall away from a place you've never been, friends. Come on, get serious. He writes to Timothy, In the latter time, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. You can't depart from a place you've never been, my friend. Think about it. He writes also again to the Colossians, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel... Be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. If you continue in the faith grounded, what if you don't? You see, these passages are never brought up by Calvinists. And if and when they are accosted by them, they obfuscate with loose words that don't go to the issue. How about Paul's writing to the Corinthians, Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You see, 
These kinds of, and there are many, many more in the scripture, many, many more. I'm just giving you an illustration. If these are withheld from the body of Christ in your congregation, you not only are doing them a disservice, you're deceiving them. With intentionality, you're deceiving them because you're refusing to give them the whole counsel of God. I don't, I don't know how much more clearly to put this. This is not a game, friends. We're not in a competition with one another. This is not a competition between Armenians and, uh, Arminians and Calvinists and, uh, whatever other groups there are. It's not a competition. And how about uh, the issue of, well, let's see. How, let, let's talk about the divorce and remarriage issue. That's the biggest issue facing the church today in a practical manner from a social standpoint. No question about it. Starting in 1969, with Ronald Reagan painfully opening up the the door through his uh, no-fault divorce action, which, by the way, he said was the worst decision he ever made. He thought it was good. His motivation was good, but the, the results were disastrous. But within a few years, through the God is Love movement in the 1970s that followed on the... Uh, uh, Love and free love and sex movement of the 1960s, it inhabited the church, took over, and divorce became prominent in the church. As it became more and more prominent, pastors then tried to find ways to accommodate or blend with the culture and receive these people into their congregations without repentance. So they approved them. They said that was loving. No, that was false compassion. What they needed to do was bring them to a place of repentance. Confessing the sin. Then pastors decided, okay, well, uh, if that's loving, then we should allow them to remarry. Even if their spouse is still living, even though Jesus said you're committing adultery when you do that. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if he be dead, and only if he be dead, then is she free to remarry, and only the Lord. It's very simple, very, very simple, but we tried to make it complex so that we could obfuscate the simple truth in order to make people feel more at home, better, but even more than that to build our churches, in other words, to advance personal pride, power, and position. And so it became the foundation for the church growth movement in the 1970s. And, of course, that opened the door ultimately to the advance of the homosexual movement in the 1980s. And then... 
Ultimately, that became normalized to homosexual marriage in the 1990s and early uh, 20th century. Uh, yeah, and and uh, 21st century. And then, as if that were not enough, it continues to metastasize on to uh, transgenderism, uh, pederasty, uh, polyamory, polymory, and so on. All of these things, you see. They have consequences. Our deception has consequences. Jesus said he would build his church. We don't have to manipulate the truth to do it. In fact, what we're actually building is a superstructure of a church on a crumbling foundation. And you know what happens when a foundation crumbles. Eventually, the superstructure crumbles too. And ultimately, it is precisely that situation that is going to, that very same kind of reasoning that brings us to the pre-trib rapture issue again. You can believe what you want about that. That's, that's your problem. But don't you dare preach it as doctrine. Because there's not one shred of Bible verse admitted by the chiefest proponents of that teaching in the Bible to support it. So if you believe it, that's fine. But don't preach it, because there are consequences to preaching it. You say, well, what kind of consequences might those be? What if things continue deteriorating dramatically throughout our world? What if there's nuclear war? What if all these things, the things that Jesus said were going to come, not just... uh, uh, as precursors, but as the things surrounding the end of the age that might be uh, categorized as terror. Now what are you going to tell them? They're not out of here yet. Now they're going to be, they're going to realize they've been deceived. And they're going to fall away in vast numbers because you deceived them. You told them that something was the truth when you had no right or authority to do that. You wanted to please them. You wanted to make them feel good. You wanted to go along, to get along with your denomination, your partisanship within the body of Christ. But you weren't willing to let the Holy Spirit guide them into all truth because there was so much contrary to that doctrine that is specific in the Bible. Look, you can believe what you want to believe, and you will. People believe what they want to believe regarding what happened on January 6th, no matter what the evidence is. They can look at 40,000 photographs that prove to the contrary, and it won't make any difference to them because, well, I just believe it. You get the point? Look, when we are to come together as believers to reason together, this is what is necessary. Somebody has to be willing to breach through the seemingly impossible barriers 
to show us what we have become and why we are there. This is not just a cultural thing, friends. This is now a church thing. Biblical politics, manipulating facts, not telling the whole truth. Somehow repositioning words in the Bible so as to make them say something other than what they say, because that's what you want to hear. You think you're counseling people. That's not counseling people, friends. That's deceiving them. Seducing them. People are trusting us. What the culture sees in the church today is not a people that are true believers. They see us just playing the game like everybody else. We just have our own reasons, and we wrap a religious robe around it to justify it. Who knows? Maybe we lost a 1,000 listeners today. That's possible. Jesus lost 500 in one day by telling them the truth. And all these followers and 500 just fell away in one day. Some people ask, well, how many listeners do you have? And I don't know. I will tell them I don't care. Well, I care in the sense that I would like to have more and more listeners to hear what we're doing so that the time is more valuable. On the other hand, that's not my job. That's God's job. The last I heard was that we had this program last year was heard in at least 179 countries. How many people were listening in 179 countries? I can't tell you. But 179 countries? Something's getting out there. And I thank the Lord for it. People are saying, you have been a lifeline for my faith in these difficult times. Praise the Lord. You saved my marriage Praise the Lord. Sure enjoy hearing from you, but please pray, friends, because we're facing the most difficult times the world has ever faced for the church. Get a copy of my book, Seduction of the Saints. I think it'll be a great blessing to you. $15 on our website, saveus.org. Staying pure in a world of deception. To Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation.